Hello, I'm Dr. Gary Wirtz, and welcome to another episode of Interventional Mindset, the podcast for everyone sitting on the bench thinking about getting into the game. Um, we're talking today with Dr. Daniel Chang. Daniel is at Empire Eye in Bakersfield, California. Daniel and I actually met, I believe it was Boston ASCRS many years ago. Um, right. Bill Wiley introduced us, and, and we we hit it off because we were talking about chromatic aberrations. And, and I think Daniel and I are the only two uh, ophthalmologists who, who, who found someone else who cared about that. And, and our, can build a our, friendship around chromatic aberrations, right? That's, yes, that's it really you. speaks to volumes. <laughs> so um, anyways, Daniel is one of my best friends in ophthalmology. He's someone I always look to, to learn from. And so today we're going to be talking about the barriers to entry um, if you're thinking about starting to, to treat presbyopia, um, I don't think there's a better person you could talk to than Daniel Chang about how you get started. So Daniel, before we get started there, tell us a little bit about your practice and really your mission, because I, I know what that is, but I'd love for others to hear about that as well. Thanks, Gary. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. And, and yeah, it was fun kind of thinking back on how we met and kind of what we initially uh kind of bonded over, um, obviously a whole lot more things that, uh, we have in common basketball, notwithstanding, but, um, that's right. That's right. um, is, uh, start our love for taking care of patients and making a difference in their lives. Um, I practice at empire eye and laser center in Bakersfield, California, I'm a private practice. Uh, my primary focus is vision correction. So whether it's uh, cataract surgery, LASIK, um, that's kind of where my passion is. And within that is really the optics of vision correction. So how does switching the lens out, how do the different products that we have, how does the intervention, the biometry and figuring all that stuff out, um, it goes beyond 2020, but understanding at the end of the day, what makes the patient happy, but understanding the science behind that and how we can improve that. So um, whether it's sitting in the patient, I mean, sitting, talking to the patient in the room and going through that dialogue all the way to doing the behind the scenes work, to doing the surgery, to working with industry to give us better products. So it, it's a fun uh, process. And I've really chosen to focus my practice on that. And that's really what I enjoy about what I do. So it, it's a real blessing to be able to do that and share about that. Yeah. So when Daniel and I first met, I was the exact person that we're targeting here or, or doing this for. I was the person who, is, who said, you know, I just like doing cataract surgery. I put in Torix, but I don't do multifocals. I think that they're really more hassle than they're worth. It's hard to figure out who is a good candidate. And sometimes they're 2020 and they're not happy and I just don't want to mess with it. And uh, so Daniel, you've had a, a couple of really interesting talks I've been fortunate enough to attend that talk about the dangers of not correcting presbyopia, which I think is something that is often overlooked. So before we start talking about the ins and outs of correcting presbyopia, will you share a little bit about why you feel so passionately that this is something we should consider taking care of for patients? Sure. You know, that that's a great perspective and way to start thinking about the topic, right? The assumption, and I think a lot of, whether it's commercial teaching to even some of our societies, when we teach about refractive cataract surgery and presbyopia correction or astigmatism correction for that matter is, okay, we should do it. And this is how we do it. But take a step back. And there's a lot of surgeons says, you know what? I, I don't want to spend the chair time. I don't want to sell to the patients. I don't like dealing with the, the complications and making people unhappy. So we think back to, okay, what's the big problem? You know, if we focused on just unhappy patients with presbyopia correcting lenses, then it's like, oh, I don't want to do that either. But if you think about what is the problem we're dealing with? So the problem, the big question is presbyopia, right? And what are our current solutions? What's the quote unquote default? Um, I won't say standard of care, but what's the default for what we do with patients is, well, 
we take out their cataract or we do a lens surgery, put in a monofocal and we give them glasses, right? Either reading glasses or most commonly bifocals, which they've been used to wearing because they're convenient. And there's a small subset who don't like it, but most patients seem to tolerate it. And the thing that, that I came to realize and started doing some, you know, looking into is that bifocal glasses are far from safe because we're not, do I want to correct presbyopia? Or do I not want to correct it? Is how am I going to correct it? Am I going to do a surgical correction or I'm going to give them glasses? And if we do bifocal glasses, the, the, the amazing data is it increases the risks, risk of tripping and falling by 2.3 fold. That's one out of every three falls in the elderly, this is over 65, are related to their bifocal glasses. And the interesting thing is the patients don't blame the glasses. They're just kind of like, oh, I tripped and fell and I just missed my step. Well, yeah, you did, but one out of three didn't see this step quite right because of your bifocals. So all of a sudden, when we say, I don't want to treat presbyopia, well, you do, you just give them glasses instead afterwards, you're treating it, but just not surgically is, hey, here's the other consequence of what you have to deal with. And the, from our perspective is when a patient trips and falls, they don't come complaining and messing up your clinic and say, hey, I fell, I need new glasses or your glasses caused this. No, they go to the emergency room. That's 20, uh, I believe it's 29 million falls a year or 27 million with 2.9 million ER visits. 800,000 hospitalizations, um, and that resulted in 27,000 deaths in 2014, which is more than the number of elderly people who died of breast cancer or prostate cancer. So, you know, from an impact standpoint, we don't see it. So it's like, oh, this is not a problem. I never, I never had a problem with it. But if you talk to your patients and ask them, a lot of them struggle with it. A lot of them, oh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've tripped. I know people who tripped. You know, they won't blame their glasses, but uh, that's related to it. So all of a sudden, if you take that mindset to say, I could do surgery and get this person out of bifocal glasses, or even monovision has been shown to increase the likelihood of falling and using presbyopic lenses. Yeah, they have problems with halos, you know, glare and starburst at nighttime, but that's something that they know and they can actively avoid versus the vision is not quite right. Their, their sense of balance is not quite, they may not know that and trip and, and cause a lot more damage. Yeah. So I think it's interesting as an ophthalmologist, you know, I want to be the hero. I want to be the guy that uh, when someone sees me in the grocery store, they have good feelings and they think, oh, that guy really helped me and I see better. And, you know, for those, those patients, and they're not common, but the ones that can bitterly complain, um, I feel like sometimes they stick in our mind so much that we feel like, oh, well, I don't want to even deal with this because of the potential for the negative. But as you mentioned and, and very astutely said, the problem is there and, and it's easier for us to just shift that problem to the patient and, and the downstream consequences of that are something that we don't see so it doesn't affect us or we feel like it doesn't. And so therefore we sort of get off scot-free. But um, I do think uh, this is a topic we really should be focusing on and thinking more about. So let's, with that in mind, let's talk about, um, let's talk about the wrong ways to start thinking about multifocal lenses or, or presbyopia correcting lens technology. Um, we've all heard different talks on the right ways and maybe ideas to get started. I want to start the opposite way. Um, who is the wrong, who is the wrong patient and what is the wrong approach as a surgeon who just does multi, or sorry, just does monofocal lenses to get started in this, in this area. Well, the wrong way is to overpromise on somebody who's expecting the world, right? You don't want somebody who's demanding this, difficult with your staff, um, causing a ruckus to begin with, and then you're going to charge them and set their expectation way high and have the risk of not meeting it. So you obviously want to start potentially stepwise. 
So instead of saying, I'm going to correct your astigmatism, they have a bunch of astigmatism. They're myopes. They're used to seeing up close without glasses. They don't really understand, you know, the problems. So you want somebody who's kind of easygoing. Uh, generally, hyperopes are a little easier to make happy because they have to wear glasses for everything. And they've lost their vision. So they're looking forward to getting something back. Um, relatively easygoing, you know, maybe not a... Uh, engineers really, I don't think are that bad. It's the architects and the photographers who are really picky. Um, and uh, people who have a, a decent cataract. So you don't want to start with a really mild cataract or even lensectomy. You want to start with somebody where, you know, particularly if they have a lot of cortical PSC where it's going to cause issues. Uh, you don't want to start with somebody with a really dense cataract that you may have trouble with the surgery. You want it to be a, this looks like a pretty easy surgery. They can focus on the refractive things. You don't want to have somebody with a bunch of pathology, dry eyes, you know, other issues, you want to avoid that, uh, you know, macular problems, glaucoma, so, you know, someone who's relatively healthy, somebody who's just the cataract, um, and you want to build, you know, your experience and your confidence in that process. What do you think about having refractive surgery skills? Uh, this is something I've heard uh, people talk about um, in, in various ways. When I first met you, you know, wasn't doing a lot of LASIK. I was sort of dabbling, but it wasn't really something I did on a weekly basis, maybe not even on a monthly basis. It was more like quarterly. And it's really hard to stay really at the top of your game if you're not doing it and practicing it. And suggestions to me were always, you know, if, you, if someone needs a touch-up, um, have a relationship with someone in your, off, or in your area that they'll do a LASIK touch-up. You know, I found that to be very awkward. Um, you know, there's sort of this bond that develops with your patients and they want you to take care of them and they want to feel like you have sort of, con you know, some level of control of taking them to the finish line. And, you know, there's enough, I guess I'm, I'm telling you my perspective, but I'd like yours sure. as well. There's enough frequency that you need to tune these people up because they don't tolerate um, as much residual astigmatism or residual hyperopia or myopia as you know, a monofocal patient does, because the goal really is to minimize the reduction or their use of glasses. So I have found that since I have become much more competent and much more um, comfortable with doing LASIK, that my anxiety level around doing a touch-up is almost zero with these people. And they sense that. So if there's a, a need for a touch-up, I say, oh, no problem. I'll put you on my next LASIK day. We'll get you tuned up and you know, no problem. And that has really seemed to make my comfort level recommending the technology much higher. So what, where do you fall on this in terms of developing refractive skills? Um, is, it a, is it a must have? Is it a nice to have? Uh, is it unnecessary? Where do you fall on that spectrum? I, I, think, I think it's definitely a nice to have. I wouldn't quite put it as a must have. I think it certainly helps in having that confidence both in yourself so that that shows to the patient and, you know, when it comes to that time, it's obviously to present it. But just even when you're talking about presbyopia correcting technology, knowing you may need to do an enhancement and knowing that you can handle it, you're just going to be that much more comfortable. Um, I think it's obviously nice to have so you can, like you said, all the reasons you said, but not a must have. So if you have a, particularly a partner within your practice, that would be ideal if you don't have the skills. Um, referring out, you're right, it's a little bit awkward and tricky. Um, at the end of the day, doing like a simple PRK, which I think is perfectly reasonable after cataract surgery. I know some surgeons are strict LASIK after they hate right. doing the PRKs. I do pretty much only PRKs in the older population, dry eyes, ocular surface issues. It, it works great. Um, it's really not that hard to learn and be able to do. Um, the other thought that I, that's really interesting that uh, actually Vance Thompson had suggested is, we come from a refractive surgery background. So when we correct presbyopia, the assumption is we correct the rest of the refractive error. 
right? So the assumption is you have to hit Plano, correct astigmatism, do all the fancy biometry, do the enhancement, do all this work just to fix presbyopia. And that's what I usually do. But there's no one that says that we can't just correct presbyopia and let a pair of glasses do the rest, right? So if you had like a multifocal lens um, that gave distance and near or extended depth of focus, and you say, hey, I'm going to correct your presbyopia so you don't have to wear bifocals. You may still need some glasses if we're off to correct distance, but they're single vision glasses. You get the safety of not having the bifocal and tripping and falling. But then from a surgeon standpoint, you have the safety net of if you miss the refractive or you somehow pair of glasses. Right. Um, and it's, you know, for patients who don't like, I hate glasses, I hate that. It's like, you know, you, if you, you think more, again, we as surgeons should be more geared toward safety than necessarily convenience and money. So again, it's a, it's a shift in the way we think. And some surgeons, when I suggest it, they're like, hey, this is great. Others are like, huh, no, we have to do that, but, but why not? Right. right. So if it's all about convenience, then yes, you have to correct all the refractive error. If you're saying, you know what, bifocals can be dangerous. It's about safety. Then it's like, yeah, just get them out of bifocals. And in some sense, you could just throw in a presbyopia correcting lens. Now, there's probably a little bit more to it. There's some side effects. Um, those are getting better as the technology improves. But, you know, when you have some refractive error, you correct it. But you have to set the expectation right, you know, particularly potentially offer a lower price point um, than maybe you would otherwise um, to, just to correct the presbyopia. Yeah. I've also found that including the enhancement uh, in the, in the fee. So we're not charging them again. Again, psychologically, the patient doesn't feel like we're trying to continually upcharge them for more surgery. So I think that's a, that's a real key that I found to be very helpful. Um, One thing I'll ask, um, and these are, we're trying to make these kind of quick podcasts. You know, we're trying to give people a lot of uh, really good information in a short period of time. When you look at the different styles of lenses, we don't really get into the brands uh, because I think that all the companies out there have, you know, their pluses and minuses. Um, but when you think about the styles of lenses like EDOF versus a high ad multifocal versus maybe a low ad multifocal, where do you sort of fit those for patients? Do you mix and match? And what is your advice to people starting out? There, there, there's always a trade-off, right? I think about three things. One is visual quality. Two is depth of field and three is night vision symptoms. So you're always going to kind of get sacrifice one for the other. So the more range of vision you're going to get, the more potential compromise in visual quality you may have and the more night vision symptoms you would cause. So that's the way I kind of think in terms of the balance. Um, I I tend to be a visual quality. I would rather my patients wear occasional reading glasses. I tell them that up front and give them the best vision possible and ideally minimize the night vision symptoms. Um, some surgeons said, you know what, if I'm going to charge them, I need them out of glasses. So you want to give them the best range of vision possible and you counsel appropriately. And there's no right way. And this is not just in the U.S., but globally, surgeons kind of tend to fall in one of two camps. Or if you really want to, you can do one eye that has a range of vision, one eye is, you know, has better visual quality, as long as you understand what you do. And I think the basic principle is you don't gain something without losing something. Now, some, some companies use certain technologies like correction of chromatic aberration. You can kind of cheat the balance a little bit, but fundamentally still is the more range you get, the more potential night vision symptoms you're going to have. So kind of understanding that balance, understanding what the patient wants, but most importantly is knowing what the lens can do and presenting that to the patient. If you overpromise, that's, that's when you get into trouble. Yeah. And that's where I, I have found, I had a lot of success with EDOF lenses when I was really starting out because I was really able to say, listen, this isn't going to be like the ultimate cure for everything you're ever going to want to see, 
you're still likely going to need, you know, probably a small pair of reading glasses or maybe some bifocals, but likely this is going to be a very good solution for most of the things you're going to do throughout your day. And, you know, that, that resonated with a lot of patients. They gave them more visual freedom than a monofocal lens. And they had a lot of very happy patients with that. Yeah. Now, could they see J, could they all see J1 plus? No, but I didn't, I wasn't setting them up to see J1 plus. I was saying really J2, J3. And, yeah. you know, that's a big improvement from where they were uh, when they had the cataract. And even when they were, you know, in their 50s, perhaps, you know, it was, yeah. it was an improvement. So I think part of it, you know, you really, you really nailed it is not promising them the world, um, being, you know, able to identify pathology, especially ocular surface disease, glaucoma, and macular pathology, um, finding patients who are um, reasonable. I also think those minus three myopes, they're really tough because they're so used to having that clear, um, clear vision. I would definitely put a little asterisk by people who are that minus 250 to minus four range. Uh, it's going to be hard to please them uh, with the near yeah. vision with a multifocal. So maybe stay away from those. I think when you get beyond that, the, the, the one, the one pearl for the minus three is ask them if they ever take their glasses off. Yeah. And a lot of them maybe don't realize, but a lot of them, no, I wear them all the time. I never take them. I can't see without, um, I treat them like anyone else, but you yeah, know, but sometimes when we ask them, no, yeah, I take them off. Then yeah, you'd be careful there. Yeah. Gotta be careful. So Daniel, I hope this is the first of a number of conversations we might have on this, on this topic. Um, any final thoughts on this on people just getting started? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a big field and honestly, there's a lot out there and you listen to a lot of people give a lot of talks and it becomes overwhelming. Um, at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the day, we want to do right for our patients and realize that not doing this can cause potentially more harm. You know, somewhere, I don't remember where, but I thought I read that the average fall costs five to $8,000 to the healthcare system, right? Wow. So from a money standpoint, it's a big deal. $33 billion of financial impact in 2014. So it's like, again, having that right attitude, but then it really doesn't have to be that complicated, right? You can always take the next level and this calc and this measurement and post-refractive and this and that, but it's all about that patient rapport. You know, you build it, you say, this is what I can do for you. You, know, you may need a pair of glasses afterwards, but you're not going to need the bifocals. You can take that approach or if you can do the enhancement, but it's, you know, even when your outcomes, and we all know that when it's not perfect, if there's that rapport, the patient's good, they're happy. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the primary goal. Yeah. So again, that interventionist mindset, love the name of the, the, the whole podcast and the whole idea is if we start with that mindset, we'll find a way. If we're just going to say, you know what, I'm going to sit on the sidelines and not do this for my patients. I think it's unfortunate for your patients. I think that you've said it perfectly. So uh, with that, I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast tonight and we'll see you next time. This has been Interventional Great. Mindset with Dr. Gary Wirtz. Thank you. Thanks for having me.